0: Praise the Lord, well before I uh, get into uh, looking together at our uh, study this week, I uh, do need to mention that as I understand it, today is the 63rd wedding anniversary for Rollo and Judy Limer. so um, they are here, and uh, and they're, they're sitting together, uh, uh, and, and so that is a good sign, um, uh that's quite an accomplishment, but congratulations to Pastor Limer and Judy. You guys are amazing and, and an inspiration to all of us. All right, uh, well, last week we began a new teaching series that's going to carry us over the next several re- weeks through the first nine chapters of um, the book of Acts. And our goal in doing this is to check out what it looked like when the very first followers of Jesus began to live out their faith day by day, in the power and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're calling this series, The Kingdom Comes, Following Christ's First Followers. And we want to use this time to learn from them how to better walk as Christians in the world. Mostly what I have for you this morning is an encouragement and an exhortation, but we'll get to that in a moment. But to get us started and focused, would you stand with me please in honor of the Word of God and just kind of get us moving today, we're going to read together uh, acts chapter two verses one through four acts chapter two verses one through four i'll read the plain text if you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions that we will walk through the passage together acts chapter two beginning at verse one this is what the bible says when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord and you may be seated. Now if you keep on reading after this, verses 5 through 13 of Acts chapter 2, you'll find that the events we just read about right there caused uh, quite a bit of an uproar that particular day. And if you know very much about the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you also know it continues to cause something of an uproar sometimes in our own day and age as well. The events we just read about happened in Jerusalem at the time of Shavuot, the annual Jewish feast, sometimes referred to as Pentecost, And because it was a major feast day for the Jews, the city of Jerusalem was cram-packed with people from all over the world. Think about New York City around New Year's Eve or uh, New Orleans around Mardi Gras. There were people from everywhere come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. But when the people heard that sound, like a violent, rushing, mighty wind, and when they heard the followers of Jesus speaking in tongues, the Bible says a crowd came together in bewilderment. It says they were utterly amazed. And a few verses later, it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Whatever was going on with these first followers of Jesus, it created something of a stir, and it absolutely got the attention of the people around them. And I want to tell you this morning, God is still in that business and He would like to do something in you and through you that gets the attention of the people around you as well. There's an old joke about a small country town where one day lightning struck the steeple of the little country church and immediately the old wooden structure was engulfed in flames. Folks came from everywhere running out with hoses and buckets of water trying to fight the inferno. Even the village atheists got involved ran out slinging buckets of water at the flames. When they eventually got the fire out, the pastor thanked everyone for their help, and he went up to the village atheist and says, Wow, I never thought I'd see you take interest in the church. To which the man replied, Well, it's the first time I've ever seen a church on fire. Oh, to be a church on fire. When the Holy Spirit came on those very first followers of Jesus, When He filled them with His presence and His power and His glory, it set them on fire in a way they had never been on fire before. The infilling of the Holy Spirit changed them from the inside out, and it absolutely got the attention of the people around them. Next week we'll look in some detail at precisely how it changed them. But this morning, I want to look just a little bit at this encounter they had with the Holy Spirit. Now, everything you read here in Acts chapter 2, you need to know, occurs after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. Last week, we focused a good bit on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria... And to the ends of the earth. This is a great verse to memorize. If you've never memorized Acts one eight, I encourage you to do so. And in your seat this morning to help you, we've given you scripture memory cards. Take it with you. Put it on your mirror in the bathroom. Put it on your refrigerator. Keep it in your car. Don't look at it while you're driving. Uh, uh, it's important that you pay attention to texting while you're driving. Uh, um, uh, but this is a great way to help you memorize Acts one eight, which is a tremendous reminder of why you're here. Jesus says. You're here to receive power and be a witness for him in the world, to show and tell for Jesus in the world. So Jesus tells his followers, their their calling and purpose is to be witnesses for him, to show and tell for him in the world. And the next verse of the Bible says this, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus rose from the dead, and then for over a month, he, on numerous occasions, made appearances to his disciples, made appearances to other people. He continued to teach them about the kingdom of God. And then one day, he left and went back up to heaven with the promise that he would come again. And what that means is right now, you and I live in the in between time, the time between what many theologians call the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. For those who know and follow Jesus, the kingdom of God has already come. Their sins have already been forgiven. They've already been redeemed. They've already been made new. They've already been adopted into the family of God. The righteousness and peace and love and joy that are the hallmarks of the kingdom of God have already been put inside them by the Holy Spirit. That's why Christians say they have been Saved, because in Jesus Christ, they have already entered into new life with God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you're saved right now. You're saved already, as the Bible plainly declares, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. By grace through faith in Jesus, you have already been saved. But the full effect of that salvation, the transformation of your body, the complete abolishment of sin and of your own tendency towards sin, the specter of physical death, the limitations and weaknesses of your flesh, the total eradication of evil and every form of suffering from this world, the unending and uninterrupted reign of truth and righteousness and justice for all, those manifestations of the kingdom of God and a million others like them have not yet come to be. Christians still suffer loss. Good people, who love God, still get sick, still get cheated, still encounter pain and hardship and difficulty. Justice in this world is still often perverted. Justice in this world is still often delayed. And this world is still filled with poverty and ignorance and hunger and want. Yes, the Bible says you have been saved by... Grace through faith in Jesus. But the Bible also says our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, there are still aspects of the salvation Jesus died to purchase that are not yet manifest. And that will remain not yet until Jesus returns to the earth. The resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit were glorious watershed moments in the coming of the kingdom of God. But that kingdom will not come in all of its fullness until Jesus comes back and brings it with Him. Now, In the meantime, Jesus wants you here for show and tell, to show and tell about Him, to show and tell the goodness of God, to love God, and to love people in His name in the world. And why do I share all of that with you? Really, basically for two reasons. First, because it's sound doctrine. And you need to build your life on the solid teaching of the Bible. You need to build your life on the sound doctrine of the Scriptures. And second, I share it with you so you won't get discouraged and lose heart. When in spite of the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you still encounter hardships and challenges in the world. I want you ready to give an answer ready to answer the questions that sometimes arise in the human heart here in the in-between time. When your heart asks you, why am I here? I want you ready to stand up and say, I'm here to show and tell for Jesus, to declare and demonstrate the goodness of God, to proclaim and produce the kingdom of God, to love God and love people and make a difference till he comes back or till I go to him. When your heart asks you, why do I keep messing up? Why do I keep blowing it? Why do I keep sinning? Even though I'm a Christian, why do I keep that? I want you ready to stand and answer because God's not done with me yet. But thank God, I'm still loved and still forgiven in Jesus. One day when Jesus returns, I'll be like him, for I will see him as he is, 1 John 3 tells us. Today I know in part and I see in part. When that day comes, I'll know fully, even as I am fully known, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. When your heart asks, why do bad things keep happening in the world? I want you ready to stand up and say, because we're in the in-between time. The world is still a broken mess. We have hope in Jesus, but the world is still a broken mess. And Jesus hasn't come back yet to set the whole thing right again. So Jesus went up to heaven, and the disciples got busy waiting. They knew Jesus wanted them to uh, show and tell the kingdom of God, but they also knew Jesus had told them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So as I said, they got busy waiting. By which I mean they didn't just twiddle their thumbs. They didn't just wait passively. The Bible says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers. They met and they prayed and they worshiped and they encouraged each other and they studied the Scriptures together, much the way you're doing right now, much the way many of you do every week in small group settings around the city. And then one day it happened. On the day of Pentecost, when they were all together in one place, probably praying and studying the Scriptures, the Bible says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now it says suddenly, but you need to remember, they'd been praying and waiting for weeks. They'd been faithfully doing the little things God had told them to do, Jesus had told them to do. And then one day, without warning, Jesus did the big thing He had promised He would do. The Bible says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Say all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And here we have the beginning of the outpouring of the Spirit of God on His people. A few verses later, Peter explains this whole thing as the fulfillment of a promise God made way back in the Old Testament book of Joel. And quoting from that book, Peter says... In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This was a big deal. Jesus had said, wait for it. You need it. It's important. And primarily he said that because he wasn't talking about it. Listen, Listen to me very carefully. You really don't need another it in your life. So often people get caught up looking for the next big it. The thing they think is going to make all the difference. The next experience, the next purchase, the next hot new thing, the next hot new church. You think, if I just get that job, if I just get that degree, if I'm just initiated into this group, if I just can learn this thing, if I just can attain this skill, if I just can get to this meeting, and tragically, an awful lot of Christians have turned this matter of the baptism in the Holy Spirit into just another it. An event or an experience that Evangelicals say happens simultaneously with conversion, that Pentecostals and Charismatics say happens after conversion, and that both groups spend a lot of time and energy arguing with each other about the timing of. My experience is that both sides tend to miss the point entirely. When Jesus said in Acts 1-4, Do not leave Jerusalem... But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He wasn't talking about an event. He was talking about a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't pointing them to an event or an experience with the Holy Spirit. He was pointing them to the Holy Spirit himself. I'm convinced that's one of the reasons when you read through the New Testament, the Bible uses all kinds of language to describe the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I think it's not particularly about the experience. Just in the first two chapters of Acts alone, the Bible refers to the experience as being baptized with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, it's referred to as receiving the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit coming upon them. In Acts chapter 10, it's referred to as the Holy Spirit being poured out. So while the verb describing the experience changes often in the Bible, being baptized, coming upon, being filled, receiving, being poured out, the one constant is the Holy Spirit Himself because He is the point of the whole thing. Jesus does not call you to have a Pentecostal experience. Jesus calls you to have a living, day-by-day relationship with the Spirit of the living God. Christians need to move past nitpicky theological arguments that often exceed the bounds of biblical texts. Most Pentecostals and Charismatics, for example, insist That to have the Holy Spirit operating in your life, you must have an experience of the Holy Spirit in addition to your conversion. The Holy Spirit only comes. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are only released. They insist. After a second experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For a number of reasons, most of them errant, this position is highly offensive to many evangelicals. But more importantly than that, it appears to ignore the testimony of the Bible in Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius invites all of his relatives and a whole bunch of his friends and crams his house full of people to hear a message from the apostle Peter. And all of them come to faith in Jesus. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit in one glorious God moment while Peter is still preaching the gospel to them. There was no invitation. There was no altar call. There was no laying on of hands. Just an anointed presentation of the gospel that they received by grace through faith. The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. As a pastor, I have to tell you, it's kind of rude to interrupt a sermon by getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to at least wait till I'm done, and that way I can feel better about myself. But while Peter was still preaching, the Bible says, The Holy Spirit came on. They were saved. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. The Spirit came. He saved these people. He filled these people apparently in one fell swoop. On the other hand, many evangelicals believe and insist that salvation and baptism with the Holy Spirit are exactly the same thing that to separate them is impossible. And so to invite a Christian to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is at best silly, at worst offensive. The problem with that position is that it completely ignores the pattern laid out in Acts 2, 8, 9, and 19. For the Bible, in in one case, provides a pretty clear example, and in three cases provides a very clear example of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit after They were born again. The bottom line is salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit are in fact two separate things that can nevertheless happen simultaneously. The point is that that you ask God for them and believe God for them so you can walk in them. And the question is not which one is most important. People like to ask that question. That's a really carnal question. Because the truth is, what's most important is that God get what God wants. And God wants you born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and living show and tell for Jesus. Sadly, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it appears a huge portion of the church has completely missed the point. Focusing on an event and bogging down in arguments over the timing. All the while, God just keeps offering Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit as a helper and a guide and a source of power. The promise of the Father Jesus referred to in Acts 1-4 is not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit Himself. As I said last week, listen. Jesus did not die to get you to heaven. Jesus died to get you to God. The salvation Jesus came to bring and the new life Jesus made available is all about God and you living with God and for God. And in the same way, many Christians have made the gift of salvation about the experience of heaven rather than about a relationship with God. In that same way, many Christians have made the promise of the Holy Spirit about a one-time experience in the past when the Lord always intended for it to be about an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit, about a life spent listening to the Holy Spirit, then going out and doing stuff in the grace and the power and the anointing of the Spirit. Life in the Spirit, led and empowered by the Spirit of God, is life as God intended it for every follower of Jesus. So when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his disciples that very first time, the Bible says all of them, say all of them. All. all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When Peter explained it, he said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I've told you often, I tell you again, God never, ever, ever intended for you to plod through this life in your own power and through your best efforts, by your own wits and your own intellect. The Holy Spirit himself is the gift of God for the followers of Jesus and God wants you to receive the gift. God wants you to know His Holy Spirit, and He wants you to walk every day in communion, fellowship, relationship with the Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit guide and empower your life moment by moment. Again, we're calling this series, The Kingdom Comes, Following Christ's First Followers. And if you're serious at all, about following in the footsteps of those very first Christians, then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you must commit to let Him lead you. Now you're free to argue amongst yourselves about whether or not you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit at some point in the past. And you're free to argue till you're blue in the face about whether or not that happens automatically at salvation or as some subsequent experience. You're free to argue about those things but I don't recommend it. Instead, I urge you to ask yourself, not, have I experienced a Holy Spirit event in my past? Or was I filled with the Holy Spirit at some moment in my past? But rather, am I full of the Holy Spirit right now? Is He right now coursing through every nook and cranny of my entire spirit, soul, and body. Not does the Spirit of God live inside of me, but rather does He have control of me, every part of me? Stop asking, have I been filled with the Holy Spirit? And start asking, am I now filled with the Holy Spirit? And am I acting like it? Am I living like the Spirit of God is full inside of me, leading and guiding and prompting and urging and teaching and directing and empowering for life? Am I living like I am filled with the Spirit of the living God? When it comes to pouring out His Spirit on people, God is no respecter of persons. It's His desire and His delight. To pour out his Spirit on you, male or female, young or old. The Bible says all of them. Say all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave, as the Spirit enabled them. Sons and daughters, young and old, men and women. God wants all the followers of Jesus filled with his Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've never asked the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit, I promise you He wants you to ask Him this morning. And if you have frequently asked the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit, I promise you He wants you to ask Him again. Because He wants you filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, walking in the power of the Spirit of God in a way that causes the people around you to notice. Let's pray. Father, again, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, in your mercy, you've shown us who you are. In your mercy, you've shown us how to come to you through Jesus. In your mercy, you sent Jesus to make it possible for us to know you. And then in your incredible grace and mercy, you've poured out your spirit and made yourself available to us in the person of the Holy Spirit so we don't have to try and pull it off on our own. We thank you for forgiveness in Jesus. We thank you for your presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we like your very first followers be filled with your spirit and committed to walk in his by his leading and in his power. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship